Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&As. It is Thursday morning, so hopefully everybody had enough time to get their questions in. There seems to be a bunch, so that should be a, a good full one today. Also, anybody watching on video can obviously tell what uh, what direction my back window faces because it's really bright coming in from behind. So uh, if you're listening audio only, you're like, shut up, Bob, just get to it. So I'm going to do just that. First up on Patreon, Tony Shadwick wants to know if I had mentioned a 3D print a while back that would allow one to better secure a SCART head into place. Uh, yeah, so that was the Kaitor Industries one. I really liked it, but I definitely thought it was for a very specific use case, uh, which is not a compliment or an insult. It's just, it's you know, it is what it is. I, I want to make sure I'm clear about that. But the, the ones that I tried locked two SCART connectors together. So if you're going from like, a SCART output to a SCART to BNC. That one worked really well. But I'm hoping that they'll swing back around and do one for the RetroTINK 4K because the SCART connector on the side also has two holes that you could mount a SCART connector in there. So that means that anybody who was worried about that heavier SCART connector kind of backing itself out and every once in a while you'd have to go tap it in just like most SCART connectors, that would solve the problem. So Kaitor Industries, I'll put a link to the one that um, that I talked about, but I have a, you know, a, a very strong feeling that as soon as the RT4K is released, you'll see something from them that does exactly this. Um, also, hopefully any SCART cable manufacturers might consider doing something as well. So if you're going from like your G-SCART switch to that, maybe one of them is a normal SCART head and the other end can just go with a uh, thumb screws directly into it to hold it into place. Um, also, Tony had pestered LaserBear about the model for the HD15 to SCART case so they could mod it to snap into place, but no luck on that either. So um, I, I don't remember what exactly happened with that. I think the story with the HD15 to SCART is that was the circuit that Steve from HD Retrovision came up with and gave it to me as a bunch of glued together wires, which is hysterical because Steve uh, is a perfectionist. So that it worked perfect, but it was very funny to kind of see it in that form. And then I asked Tian Fong to create a, an actual device with that so I don't have to carry around a wad of wires anymore. And then Greg created the case, and the plan was to make a bunch, get them in the hands of stores, and then open source all of the files, except the part shortage made that almost impossible because the VGA heads that we had spec'd were out of stock. And then we switched them and those went out of stock. We switched the design and something else went out of stock. So I think that is going to be in place soon-ish. I think once the, the stores that have been carrying those each get their final when I say final, like they're a big shipment of it, all of those files should be released. And that way people could make their own, people could modify the designs. But with, um, you know, with that notorious cloner in the world now, we just can't do that. And I know that's going to upset a lot of people and that's fine. Please direct all of your anger at me and nobody else. This was my decision. But when good stores lay out their own money to take a risk on a product that maybe people will buy and maybe won't, you know, this isn't some awesome thing that everybody in gaming needs. I actually think most people would need one as a tool in their toolbox at least, but it's hard to get that message across. So people are spending their own money to make quality versions of these that work correctly. So if we just dump the files out there and then the notorious cloner starts selling it for 10 bucks for a junky design where one out of 10 probably won't work at all. Maybe they use the wrong components so it's not as safe. You never know with these low quality cloners. So at the very least, I wanted to make sure that the stores who took the risk could get their money back and then we'll release the files for everybody to use. But 
you know, it's okay if you disagree. Um, if you do disagree, explain to me why, and maybe I'll change my mind about that. But as of now, and pretty much going forward, anytime there's an open source design that I'm part of, that's just rooted from the beginning in something that I'm part of, not like we're taking somebody else's design, it's going to eventually be opened, but after the stores who take a risk with their own funds are able to get paid back. Uh, it's okay if you don't uh, agree, but you know, um, just as always, if you disagree, explain it to me. Don't just be like, you dumb piece of crap. Like, you know, give me some reason to change my mind and maybe I will, maybe I won't. But uh, Tony, I'm actually talking to like everybody when I say that. I'm not saying like, Tony Shadwick, how dare you? Like, <laughs> it's a good question. I just, I always like to be transparent probably for the worst, to be honest with you. But hopefully that was a good explanation. Next up, Everett said, if I ever get a chance to review that Unicode 26-inch 1024 by 768 LCD, if you saw the podcast a couple days ago, you'll know why I just giggled at that. Uh, do I mind testing a 384p arcade game with the OSSC line 2x mode plus scan lines? They'd love to see what that looks like. So if you mean something like one of the Capcom Street Fighter games, like a CPS2 game, I could do that using the Mr. Outputting uh, RGB SCAR or component into the OSSC into that. I could definitely test that, um, but I don't have any original arcade boards here anymore. I, I accept a Neo Geo. I definitely have one of those. So I could try to do it, but to be honest, um, I never really had a desire to test that. I kind I recorded two versions of my my explanation on that for the weekly podcast, and I just decided to try to keep it you know, to try to keep it straight to the facts. But I guess I'll just say that there was some behind the scenes stuff that happened over the past couple of years where I was like, yeah, that's something's up with this. And my gut was right. Uh, my gut is very large and filled with beer and also could, uh, could, could sniff out when there's issues in electronics quite often. And uh, that was one of them. So I just really don't have any desire to do any review on it. Maybe if they fix it all and refund people and send people replacement boards and if they really make it right, then I mean, I'm always the type of person that wants to forgive and move on. So, yeah, sure. Then I'd, I would like to help them out. But unless that happens, I just have no desire to, to look at that thing whatsoever. Next, my video showcasing the 120 hertz BFI mode on the Tink 4K looked sensational. Thank you so much. I tried to put that in there because I just... I think with myself learning exactly how BFI could be manipulated, and I still don't know nearly as much as Mark and Mike on this stuff, I wanted to have a visualization for people to follow. And a bunch of people ended up getting confused about that, which is fine. I mean, if uh, that wasn't a video on BFI, that was kind of stepping into it, assuming people might know the basics of it. But I would like to do a separate video on that because I do think, um, I think it's more important than people realize for some things. For other things, not so much. Like, you know, I, I generally wouldn't use BFI on a brand new TV show, even if it was shot in 24p. I just think, you know, 4K, um, you know, 4K 24, you know, so it's not 3-2 pull down with HDR, very often looks good for modern content. But for older stuff or for video games, I do think it adds quite a bit. So hopefully I could circle around to a video on that at some point if time allows. Time's just the hardest thing these days. Next up, Chris has a question about using C-Sync on the composite video line. They have a ColecoVision they set up with RGB using Tim's RGB and a Genesis 2 output. The C-Sync signal is on pin 5 of the connector, and that works for their Genesis SCART cable to their upscalers. 
They tried to use the RAD2X cable, and that, to their knowledge, looks for sync on the composite, uh, composite video pin, so no video out. They bridged the C-Sync point to pin 4, and this got them a video out. They're wondering if there's long-term side effects of using this, and if this would cause issues on other cables if it left it bridged like this. So that is an excellent question. And this kind of goes a little bit deeper. You know how I always say never ever use Y circuits or Y cables on video lines? Well, what I'm actually saying is never use a Y cable and connect both at the same time. So essentially, by bridging those two pins, you've created a Y circuit. However, for there to be damage, you would need to have a cable that somehow syncs on composite and C-Sync at the same time, which is impossible. That's not a thing. So um, I, I wanted to explain it like that just for the visualization, but the short answer to that is that should be completely and totally fine. I would just double check that the C-Sync coming out of there is TTL level or is not TTL level. So basically anything under a millivolt should be completely safe in that. But if it's Tim's kit, it should be totally fine. The circuit should already be routed perfectly. So in that scenario, your Y circuit is perfect because only one at a time would ever be connected. The only thing, I mean, maybe you could build a custom breakout cable to connect both. So, but then it wouldn't even work because it's C-Sync on both, not composite video out of one and C-Sync out, out of the other. So, you know, to, just to over explain that for a moment, you're totally fine. I think that's a great solution, and I'm glad it was working for you. And that is one of the few cases where Y circuits on video is fine because there's never two at the same time being connected. So great question, and, uh, and, and good call. Good guess getting that working. Next up, David Sobel has been wanting to do something like an internal digital-to-digital -digital HDMI mod for a while, but despite having some decent experience, they're not confident in soldering a ribbon cable to a chip at all. What's a good way to practice this kind of soldering work? They wouldn't want to order an HDMI mod and then learn the hard way if they screwed up. Well, first, David, very, very strong opinion that I need to share. The fact that you're approaching it with this mindset means you're already winning and you're already walking down the correct path. Generally speaking, when I see people mess these mods up, it's people that are like, oh, I've been doing SNES mods for 10 years. This is easy. I could figure this out. Th that's the attitude that usually gets people into trouble. Or it's the most common way to get pe that people get into trouble. Walking into this saying, hey, I might be good at this. I might not. How do I practice is definitely the right mentality. And I agree with Double H's suggestion. See if you could find cheap ribbon cables or you had mentioned you have a leftover ribbon cable from a backlit screen mod. And then just find any piece of junk electronics that has a chip that lines up close enough. Um, if you don't have any, you can go to thrift stores, buy something like a, you know, find a toaster, something that's definitely not going to, uh, to be missed if you have to end up ruining it. You know, and there's plenty of junk electronics out there anyway. There's recycling centers that do this stuff. But I would do that, and then I would just, you know, watch some of Tito's videos and Voltar's videos and, and go from there. And I do like the extra cautious method of, like, lining it up, <clears throat> taping it down with some Kapton tape or some, some black tape. Kapton's better, though, because it doesn't leave that sticky goo on the motherboard. And then after it's lined up, tacking one in and then removing the tape and seeing does it do they all line up with your pins and that's going to be hard if you're doing a practice run because the chances of you finding the exact pitch of pins versus the ribbon cable isn't going to be the easiest but it's certainly something to practice but then you could tack down the other side and or maybe one 
one or two more pins down the line, and then you could use whatever techniques that you want. Um, drag soldering, using flux is definitely going to be a big help for stuff like that. But I've done a whole bunch of these, and I'm, I'm not the best at it. And there's been a couple of times where uh, I had given something to, to Jose to redo for me to put it to swap one mod out with the other. And he looked at my work and was like, not bad, which is good because he's a pro and I'm not. <laughs> I, I talk about this. I write about this. I help develop these, but I'm not a pro modder. So, you know, if I could do it, anybody could do it. You just kind of have to be practice, be patient. And then I think the other thing that's always a really good piece of advice for anybody in a situation like this is if stuff starts to go wrong, stop, turn off your irons, just walk away, come back another day, just clear your head. I think that's another thing is when people, even pro modders, when they get overwhelmed and they're like, oh, I got to get 20 consoles out today. My customers have been waiting. I feel so bad. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm half asleep. My hand's not as steady. Oh, I just got to do it. I think that's when a lot of other issues happen as well. So if it starts frustrating you, just stop, go, go for a walk come back the next day, come back later, whatever. But just clearing your head is another really good way. And it sounds so dumb, right? It sounds very like, well, yeah, obviously, Bob. But when you're in those moments, it, it's sometimes just hearing somebody else say it out loud is really just a, helped, a helpful reminder. So hopefully those tips point in the right direction. But I have a feeling you do some practice with some ribbon cables and you'll get on just fine. Next up, Oliver Clare said they've got a Magnavox Odyssey that's been with a well-regarded modder for about 18 months. Ouch. While it powers on and has a new composite video board, it's not outputting any video signal. They don't want to name the modder as they generally do excellent work and would appear in most people's lists of recommended installers, but their feeling is this particular console might simply be beyond repair. But given the unique tech of the Odyssey compared to later consoles, they wonder if a specialist in early-gen systems might have insights. Do I know anyone with that niche expertise who might take a look? So a couple of things to say about that. Um, you know, I've heard lots and lots and lots of stories like this over the years. Sometimes things get frustrating and people just put them aside and then kind of forget about them. Sometimes it's like I was just saying to, uh, to David about how sometimes they get frustrated and they say, all right, I have to walk away from this for a moment. Other times it's, okay, I want to dedicate two or three hours minimum to really digging in deep and finding the problem. But if this is their main job, trying to find two or three hours to dig into a problem that they're essentially not getting paid for. And I'm not, Oliver, obviously, I'm not accusing you of not paying them. I'm just saying if they say, yeah, it's 150 bucks for this mod, an extra 50 because it was broken, but they end up spending like 10 hours on it. That's way more than that. They're really doing that to learn. So that's kind of their own donation to the Magnafox Odyssey scene as well. So very often that happens as well. You know, I need to dedicate this time and then day in and day out, they're modding people's consoles so that they could get the money in to pay their bills and they forget it. So I'm not making any excuses for it, for when that happens. I just want to shed light on that for people that may have not been in that situation so they could understand how a console could be with somebody for a year and a half and not ever get done. So... Um, I do think in that situation, it, the right thing to do is just to politely ask for it back because, I mean, a year and a half is a year and a half, right? It's a little different. Like, there's been a bunch of times I've asked, and I always tease him because we're friends, but there's been a bunch of times I've asked Zach Voltar to look at some stuff, 
And he says, I don't have any time for that. And I'll, I'll just say, it, leave it in your garage under my MK2000 and my CDX. And uh, whenever you get to it, now you have it there because this is something that I think you could add your expertise to that I certainly can't. So just leave it. So and I, I think, I mean, he's had some of my stuff for like five years. But in that context, that was totally fine because that's that's what I wanted him to have it for. I didn't expect it back. But that's obviously not your case. So I would just politely ask for it back and and just say, hey, you know, no disrespect, but I kind of want to get this into the hands of somebody who could repair it or at least reverse engineer the problem to help other people and kind of go from there. Now, as for anybody with that niche experience, um, I knew a bunch of people that worked on them, but I don't really, that's not a console that's ever been a focus of my attention. I thought it was neat. I appreciate it for its history, but I got like thousands of hours into the SNES and Genesis and like one into the Odyssey. <laughs> so if anybody in the comments might be able to recommend anybody, just please remember that the way YouTube comments work, if you post a link, it's probably going to get deleted. Um, even if it doesn't even go into my held for review bin, Links just usually disappear. So maybe if you could just name a modder or name a shop or something like that, or if you yourself have a lot of expertise in that, maybe you could help Oliver out. But yeah, I just wanted to not just answer the question. I wanted to add a little bit of perspective because i that's one of the biggest complaints is like, oh, I've sent it off to this pro modder and it's been three months. You know, I thought this wasn't a hard thing to do. <clears throat> sometimes they run into issues, sometimes things break, or sometimes people get overwhelmed, and it sucks for everybody, but, and there's no excuse, you know, you should have open communication, you should get things out in a timely manner, I just wanted to add some perspective, but yeah, I would just get that back and give it to somebody who, who would love to find the answer to this question, you know, not somebody who's just getting paid to do it, but somebody who loves the Odyssey and who would love to figure out, okay, so I want to learn exactly why this burnt out so I could share this information, put it on the consolemods.org wiki and help other people who ever run into this. So I don't know that person, but hopefully I know that person's out there though. So maybe any suggestions would be greatly appreciated from anybody. Next up, Rent Optional had a follow-up to last week's discussion of using that 8-bit Doe wireless Neo Geo CD-style controller on the Dreamcast. They purchased the Brooks Wingman SD, and it worked with a bunch of stuff, but not the Dreamcast. So then they ended up buying the $20 8-bit Doe wireless adapter 2 that has Bluetooth and was able to combine all of those to get it working. I'm pretty sure I followed your, your post correctly. I read every word, Rent, so if I got that wrong, please correct me. But... That seems like a perfectly good solution as long as the latency adds up properly for for you. So you're going to have the controller latency, you're going to have the Brooks Wingman SD adapter latency, which should be actually pretty quick, and then you're going to have the 8-bit Doe wireless receiver latency all combined. So you could have up to two frames, or you could have as low as about a frame of lag, but overall, if you're playing on a CRT, that's not bad at all. If you're playing on a really fast gaming monitor, that's not too bad. So it's really just up to you to decide. Um, but I would actually just out of curiosity, wonder what the total latency is for all of that. Um, so that's, it's good that you got it working. Also, it's my opinion, just an opinion that owning all of those extra adapters is going to pay off in the long run. I'm sure you're going to use those on other things as time goes by. So you didn't just lose 20 bucks on getting the 8-bit dough adapter. But Rent also said they emailed Brooks to explain the situation. And they said, 
uh, Brooke, I think, sorry. But they said, we don't currently own that controller, but they've arranged to purchase and test compatibility. If they could add support for that controller, an update will be released on the official website. So that's awesome. That's uh, that's some really good customer service from, from Brooke right there. Uh, I'm really interested to see if they actually do it, if it's possible. I don't want to put unnecessary pressure. It's like, let's see if you could pull this off and it, it just it's impossible to get the, the protocols working or something. But if they do, that would be really neat. So please, if you don't mind, follow up and let me know if they ever get that working. I would love to do just a post on that and promote them because that's not just cool products. That's the type of customer service that makes me want to really support the company. So thanks for uh, for letting us know. If anybody wants to do that, then you could combine all of those things together. But maybe that Brook SD adapter would uh, would actually work through that. So we'll see if that uh, if that happens in the future. Next, Jeff Fell said they saw me at the expo, but didn't get a chance to say hello next time. Yeah, too bad. I love saying hello to everybody. And I was just talking to somebody about that earlier this morning, how um, they said they'd come over to the booth, but there was just a ton of people there. And they just said, oh, I'll come back next time. And they came back again, and there was a ton of people. And it always is funny how that works at expos. You know, we've had many times where there's just nonstop people at the booth for hours, which is awesome. I love that, by the way. And then all of a sudden, there's just nobody for like a half hour, and then just nonstop people for a couple more hours, and then nobody. It's actually kind of funny. There was one guy who rolled up a couple years ago, and we had just sat down. It was Beast, Destiny, and I. And we had just sat down. And we're like, oh, man, this was so much fun. But this is getting tiring. And we were kind of just enjoying our one moment of like, let's just sit for a second. And somebody walked by and said hello. And they were kind of friendly. And then they walked around the corner. And a bunch of other people came up. So we jumped up. And, we're, you know, it was a nice little moment's rest. And then a couple hours go by. And nobody again. So we sat down. And that same guy was like, walks by and goes, yeah, don't worry. I'm sure some people come over your booth at some point. I'm like... I don't know if they saw all the people and were being funny or if they legitimately thought that we were sitting there pouting because nobody came over to the booth. But I just like I just kind of looked at Beast. Beast rolled his eyes. I mean, I just didn't say I just didn't know how to respond. But yeah, so it was a stupid, stupid story. It has nothing to do with the question you're about to ask. I just felt like sharing because that made me giggle. And hopefully next time uh, you'll pop by at a point where there aren't many people or is nobody there so we could hang out for a bit. But the actual question. They would like to dedicate one of their OG Xboxes to emulation using XBMC Emu Station. Their monitor is a PVM2030 that's 480i only. My RGBS on Xbox webpage includes the text, People with modded Xboxes can force sync on green via SCART in all resolutions. Where could they find out how to do that? So I need to fix that. They could force sync on green in all resolutions except 240p. The Xbox doesn't do 240p. Now, it has also been years since I've used Xbox as an emulation device, but I'm pretty sure that's still it. I think on your monitor, you would end up using those consoles in 480i. And that whole RGBS thing is just for people that want to run 480p over SCART. Uh, it's a much, much, much easier uh, thing to just get component cables or retro gaming cables actually uses or actually sells. It's a SCART cable, but it's just component video. The end just happens to be SCART. So that way you could route it through anything else. So in your situation, I'm not sure if that's going to be your intended result because you would get 480i for all of those. But this has been a long time since I dug into Xbox emulation. So please correct me if I'm wrong. I'll pin a comment if I just made a huge blunder and 240p is working fine now. But the last time I really dug into that 
I mean, that's that's certainly what I saw. And it sort of worked out for some emulators. Uh, I didn't think Game Boy Advance was that bad, but I think with so many other ways to emulate those consoles now, and I know a lot of people disagree. The last time we discussed this on the Retro Roundtable, Voltar like wholeheartedly disagreed with me, disagreed with me on this. But I would just choose, me personally would choose any other way to emulate those and use the Xbox as an Xbox or a media player. XBMC is still pretty awesome. But I may have just screwed up that entire answer. I I would like to be wrong, actually. I would really love for somebody to say, no, Bob, people did that years ago. All you have to do is go to this site and then, you know, that's how you get 240p out. So I would love to be wrong about this, but I'm not sure that's going to be and I don't think that's going to have the intended results that you were looking for. So please let me know in the comments if I messed this up, crossing my fingers that I did screw it up. But I think you're going to be stuck with 480i and it's not going to be the, the true look that you're going for. Next up, a couple of questions from Sean McFarlane. First, they saw that the Mr. Multisystem is currently not being sold and wants to know if I know what the deal is. I sort of do. I've talked to Richard from Heber about this a few times, and it looks like they're really trying to get this up and running to sell as soon as possible. I'm I'm not sure what the current bump in the road is, but there were a few things that happened. Nothing terrible. It's just, you know, typical what it's like to run a a store where you ship things. Um, But I think they're on it, and I really hope they're available soon because I bug Richard at least once a month to buy that PlayStation-inspired case with a snack adapter in front. That, that thing just looks so cool to me. So the moment they're up for sale, you could expect a post on Retro RGB. You could hand assemble one if you'd like, because they are open source, but it's not easy. That's not an easy thing. And for me personally, I, I want the whole package. I don't just want the board. I want the case. I want the adapters with it. So I'm personally just waiting until they go up on sale, and then I'll, I'll buy that one. Uh, next question, is this Mars thing real? Yeah. So I've been talking to the team behind it. I'm going to put a post together, hopefully uh, before the next uh, weekly roundup. But it's not BS, that's for sure. The team is trying really hard to get it out soon. But when I say soon, I mean anything that you do in manufacturing takes months. So saying something's coming soon could mean three months, could mean six months. And uh, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just telling you (laughs) what it's like to deal with these manufacturing things. So I should... I should absolutely have more info soon. There's going to be a lot more info in the coming months, but I will follow up with at least, uh, hey, this is what the goal of the project is. Here's just about what they're going to be doing with it. And the only thing I will say is that the same thing I say whenever a new product comes out. Just because this Bars FPGA thing is coming doesn't mean that your Mr. is suddenly junk. It, Mr. is equally as amazing as it always was. Uh, so it's, and if you would have a setup where the Mr. would already fit, you know, just, you don't have, I wouldn't wait on electronics. And that is no disrespect to Mars. That's no disrespect to any coming soon products. It's just, I always kind of look at things like, is there a problem that can be solved today, right now? And do I need it solved today? And if the answer is yes, then I do it. Uh, it, With some exceptions, right? If a very reliable company that's put out 20 products says the product's coming next week, okay, maybe hold off for a minute. But the Mars isn't coming next week. I do think it's coming soon, but not next week. So if you have a problem that needs to be solved now and the mister could do it, great. But if you're like, oh, no, I already have a mister. I was thinking about buying a second. Let me wait to see what this thing is like. That's probably something that you might want to do. And you might still end up getting a mister. 
there's nothing like i just want to make that very very crystal clear <laughs> the mister is not getting any less awesome uh so i guess i'm being a little too vague about this i'll just tell you to wait until more info comes out but um it's not bs that's the only thing i know for sure and uh we'll see how it progresses as, as things release and as stuff is released for it but yeah i mean uh so hopefully i was able to at least i guess i didn't really answer either of your questions but at least i gave you a, a little more info on them next up steve wells wants to know if any store has stock of the powerbase fm and yep it's in stock at rondo products i'll leave a link to that uh and it's not a pre-order i believe they're actually on the shelves ready to ship so you should be able to get that right away uh, if anybody doesn't know what that is, I'll give a very brief overview. The Sega Master System released in most parts of the world had just standard sound channels. However, the original MK, uh, the original Mark III, Mark II, Mark II had an FM sound module that added a whole other audio channel. And when the Master System was released in Japan as the MK2000, it had the built-in 3D adapter as well as a built-in FM sound channel. So you were able to play all of those games with the extra sound built in. Shockingly enough, a lot of games had the extra sound channel, even though it wasn't common to find the ability to play it. And some games had it, but it was unfinished, so it's actually not as good as the original. Still kind of a neat thing to look into. However, how do you use that? And the easiest way is to simply get one of these PowerBase FM converters, plug your Master System game into that, and plug that into your Genesis, and that has a chip in it that allows a true recreation of what it would have been like. So that's a really cool thing, and it's infinitely cheaper than trying to import an MK2000 and then getting a cartridge converter. It's just a really neat way to experience it. So um, if you're interested in any of this, emulation will be able to show you this for free. So I would suggest trying that out. But if you're like Steve and I, and you've decided, yeah, this is neat, I want to play this on original consoles, that's the adapter I would strongly recommend because it'll do everything. And it'll be like 99.9% .9 accurate to the original, but infinitely easier to use. Next up, Hades Hot Gun and Soaps said they've been keeping an eye out for giveaway CRTs for a while now and just haven't seen anything that wasn't defective or otherwise sketchy. However, at their work, they have a decent condition TV and VCR set they can grab for free. The catch is the TV's only got an RF connector on the back, while the VCR has composite AV connectors. They mostly play PS1 and PS2 games, and they've already got a RetroTINK 5X with HD Retrovision cables running to their HD TV. Would it be worth their time to do all of this, uh, or is it going to reduce the quality enough that they'd be better off sticking with the Tink's CRT filters? <clears throat> so I do have an opinion on this. You might not agree. However, in the scenario in which you can get this stuff for free, maybe roll with me because you're just going to lose a little bit of time on your hands. And then, you know, if you have to get rid of a CRT, deal with that. But I actually think early 3D graphics games, especially 480i stuff like you would see on PS2, look excellent in composite video. And I think that was really... You know, one could argue that things like the waterfall blending in Sonic proved that 16-bit consoles should look better with composite. I think that's debatable, but I think stuff like 480i games on the PS2, they were definitely using the messiness of composite video to blend these images together to give the perception that they were higher resolution than they are. So I think this is the perfect scenario to grab a CRT. Just grab a composite video cable for PS1 and 2, and then plug it into the VCR, and then use the RF out of the VCR to go into the CRT and go from there. 
The only scenario in which I don't think this would be good is if you live in a big city with lots of RF interference. I did a, a social media post about that a while back. I'll link to it here just to show the example. But the same exact TV, Super Nintendo, and RF adapter in Manhattan was barely watchable. But that same exact set, same power supply, power strip, when I was out in the burbs, looked exactly like composite video because you didn't have millions of wireless networks interfering with the signal. So yes, I absolutely think it's worth it. I also think there's a very good chance you're going to go, that was cool, I'm going to stick to playing this on my Tink. But if it's free, I would, I would think that it was worthwhile. Even if it's something that you end up leaving in your basement once a year, you bring your PS2 downstairs to, to just have that original CRT experience, I do think it's worth it, especially being free. Now, if you had said, I have the opportunity to get a calibrated BVM for $3,500, no, I don't think you should run that experiment unless you knew for sure that you were going to be able to use it. But a, a free CRT and VCR, I would absolutely give that a shot. And uh, I'll leave a link to that little RF comparison just in case you're in a big city, because that's the only reason that you might not want to do that. Next up, Ghost of the Sun said they're working on streamlining their setup and came across an intriguing idea for powering multiple consoles. The idea is to incorporate multiple rack mount power supplies that have individual on-off switches for each input. This allows you to completely disable the circuit for each system that you're not using so they don't draw power while not in use. You could also use short one foot or so extension cables to plug consoles with large power bricks into these units. Do I have any thoughts as to the safety and effectiveness of this approach? Yeah, strong opinion. I freaking love that. I absolutely love that. I do a ghetto version of that here. I have a whole bunch of different power strips um, that every time I want to use something, I got to crawl on the floor and turn one power strip on, then climb up and turn the other power strip on. But someday as I evolve that setup back there, I would love to figure out a way to try to do that a little easier. And I think what you're doing, if your setup would allow for the positioning, would be perfect way better than what i have because then you could just label everything and you could go up and be like okay well i want to use my you know uh, jvc crt and my super nintendo and my stereo and that's it so you flip on those three and maybe the, the you know my extron crosspoint in order to switch between them i love that because one of the things that drives me crazy is when i power on that side you can't see it but the side with the extron crosspoint my laser disc player is plugged into that as well so when I power on that power strip, the LaserDisc player assembly goes into standby mode. So it moves the assembly and centers it. So every time I turn on my setup, my LaserDisc player is moving, which means slowly wearing when it doesn't need to. So I, I very often remember to unplug that and just leave the power out just to avoid that. But having a setup like yours would mean that would never be something I worried about. Also, generally speaking, rack-mounted power supply stuff like that with hard power switches are pretty robust. So if you had everything powered off and lightning stroke, uh, stroke struck near you, <laughs> um, that would probably be a safe way to isolate your consoles. Now, if lightning struck your rack, <laughs> that's a different thing. Everything's getting zapped, but it's still better than if it was plugged in and in standby mode. So I think for safety, for longevity, for heat, for so many issues, that's an excellent idea. And I'm going to try to integrate 
integrate something very similar into this setup, as long as I could physically position it properly. Um, you know, being able to run all the wires to one central location to have that switching might be a challenge, but I'm going to try at some point because I love that idea. So sorry for just rambling and gushing over your idea, but I wanted to wholeheartedly encourage it because I think it's great. And I think while not only is it once again, not only is it easy, but it does just solve a whole bunch of problems. So hopefully that'll work out for you. Next up, Jeff recently got themselves a PC Engine Core Graphics, which came with an AV booster and a Genesis 2 style RGB SCART cable. They went ahead and connected it to their OSSC to play it on their modern flat panel. The first few times they played it, it all worked, but more recently it seems like there's an issue where when the OSSC detects different frequencies, uh, meaning one time it'll pick up 60.01, the other it'll pick up 60.04, that'll cause the screen to flicker and it will drop off the signal. However, when they use the same cable and AV booster with a very cheap SCART to HDMI converter, they don't seem to have any issues. They also don't have any issues with other consoles on their OSSC. Any other thoughts on what they could do to fix this issue? So what you're explaining is buffering and line multiplication. So let me dig into this and please try to stay with me because I have, you're not going to like the solution, but I, there is a very valid explanation I'm going to start by saying there's nothing wrong with your OSSC. There's nothing wrong with the core graphics or the AV booster. And there technically isn't even anything wrong with your TV. What's happening is the open source scan converter is a line multiplier. They take the signal that's coming in and it doubles, triples, quadruples, whatever the resolution, but everything else stays the same. The refresh rate, um, everything. And most modern TVs especially ones with VRR built in can handle that. But from the dawn of the flat panel era up to like 2018, most flat panel TVs didn't know what those signals were and freaked out. They thought they were signal drops because flat panels were designed to adhere to very strict and specific video signals, not video game signals, especially analog ones. So that's what's happening with the OSSC. So the OSS, it's basically the OSSC is doing exactly what it's intended to do, and that's why it's a zero latency added device. Now, that cheap SCART to HDMI converter has quite a large buffer because that was never, ever designed to be used with video games. That was designed to be used with VHS and DVD. And VHS might have the same issue with modern flat panels where it kind of, if the signal isn't perfect, which it almost never is with VHS, then your TV will get, will drop out or just won't sync at all. You'll just get a black screen. So those SCART to HDMI adapters were designed to have lag because they were designed to buffer that VHS signal in order to convert it to a completely compatible HDMI signal. So that's why they're the worst for video games, but they have so many really, really good uses, especially for the price. So unfortunately, the fix is to get a scaler or a TV that's compatible. So this is one of those things where your answer is probably going to be like, oh, well, no, which is fine. Um, you know, maybe just use your, uh, you could try to run the OSSC in a lower resolution. I have absolutely seen TVs sync perfectly with the OSSC in 480p, but not any other resolution. That's a free fix that you could certainly try right away. It won't be as sharp, but if it works, then there you go, free solution. If you were planning on upgrading your TV anyway, then I would just look into ones that are compatible with all the retro stuff. Just talk to people on Discord servers and forums and, and see what they're recommending. Um, and, and that way you could know that it'll work with all of your consoles and not just everything except your PC engine. 
On the flip side, if you already have a brand new and amazing TV, now is the time to look into other scalers. And that's going to be up to you. Do you want the RetroTank 5X? If you wanted that one, it would work perfectly with all of those signals in triple buffer mode, uh, which has a rolling frame of latency. So sometimes it could be up to a frame. Sometimes it's only a few milliseconds. It's totally playable, in my, my opinion on that. But it's definitely going to be compatible. Whereas you could also switch to its frame lock mode, which may be compatible. I have absolutely had the Tink 5X's lower latency modes work on TVs that the OSSC didn't. So right off the bat, you might actually be able to get it working like that. However, if not, it's a flick of the remote. So let's say every other console works in frame lock mode, and then you got to switch to triple buffer for PC Engine. It's still going to be way less latency than that SCAR to HDMI adapter. Of course, the, you can wait for the Tink 4K if you want to go crazy with all that stuff. But as I said in the video, you don't need the Tink 4K. It's just it's something that you might want as, as something to use. But so hopefully I, I kind of clarified everything, but that's really the overview. All of your equipment is really working exactly the way it was designed to work, and that's the problem. When we use retro analog consoles on modern equipment, we're breaking the specs, essentially. So you either need to find a TV that's compatible, or you need to find a scaler that could fix that for you to be compatible with any TV. So hopefully I was able to kind of add some or shed some light on this for you. Next up, Tony Shadwick has another question, but a bunch of loud-ass birds are sitting outside my window yelling. It's, uh, I, could never, I could never escape, right? In the, in the city, I had the crazy wizard, and now here I have birds. Sorry, I think you're all just going to have to deal with the, the birds squawking in the background. I'll try to filter it. But anyway, Tony, Tony's question was, what happens if you take the AVS, which is a console from the company Retro USB that's an FPGA-based NES that outputs 720p and plug that into the Retro Tink 4K. The Tink 4K could obviously scale 720 to 4K, but what about CRT emulation? Would that be accurate? And if you left it in 720p mode and you left everything as is, no, there would be some issues with that. It would look good, except there is a pre-scaling filter that's already built into the Retro Tink 4K. So in this exact situation where you have something like the AVS, which was essentially outputting 240p doubled three times, you would pre-downscale pre it to 240p, which doesn't really add any latency, milliseconds. Um, it's kind of the same as the stuff that I demoed in the video. But essentially, as the signal comes in, you're downscaling it from 720 to 240. But since 240 was the original resolution of the NES, you don't lose any information whatsoever. Now it's in the original signal, so then you could go from there to 4K and have completely accurate uh, CRT uh, emulation filter scan lines on there. And not only will that work with the AVS, it'll work with any of the Switch Online games, it'll work with modern retro games, anything from Sonic Mania to Axiom Verge, you could downscale that back to its original resolution and then have the Tink scale it, so you're essentially treating it as if it was in a, a game in that original resolution, and it's going to look very similar to CRTs and stuff like that. So great question, and I believe Mark from My Life in Gaming is going to be spending quite a bit of time on this in his video. I don't necessarily think the AVS, but definitely the, the prescale function. So what Mark would be showing with Switch Online would be a complete exact um, explanation for the AVS as well. So great question. Uh, I probably should have showed something like that, but uh, thanks for asking and definitely check out Mark's video because that's going to show how this works in great detail. 
GameCube Fan 74 is looking for a way to force a 4x3 aspect ratio resolution when using stuff like Wii Duel with USB Loader GX. So the purpose would be you're sending something a 16x9 signal, but you're actually looking to, to watch that in 4x3. And uh, there's quite a few different scenarios in which you might need this. They're all kind of a little bit of niche scenarios, uh, but that is something that people have been asking for. And usually you would force that with your monitor or TV. Now, there are some TVs out there. Mark from My Life in Gaming showed that in his LG TV review last year, that if you set it to 4x3 mode, you add latency, which is insane to me. It's almost like they're adding a frame buffer just to squish something in. So GameCube Fan 74 wanted to know if I knew of any devices that could just let you set aspect ratio without ruining the picture or adding any latency. And latency is obviously huge because I'm sure there's video processors out there that are designed for TV signals, not video games that could do it. And I don't know of any other than uh, the RetroTINK 4K. That would definitely do it. Now, with all of the love and respect to Mike, I would never, ever, ever tell you to buy one of those just to be able to set aspect ratio correctly on your TV. Unless you're mega rich and have a lot of money to throw away, then by all means. But um, if you were looking to take your Wii Duel with USB Loader GX and get the craziest, best picture out of it, and you had the budget, yeah, that'll solve all of your problems. It'll scale it however you want it. It'll do whatever kind of scaling you want. Yes, that would actually be the perfect solution. But if you already have a completely fine solution that you don't need any extras to, I don't know. What you could do is analog output into the OSSC or Tink 5X, and then that would be able to set the aspect ratio. But you know that kind of begs the question then, if you got the Wii Duel installed, were you really looking for that HDMI signal? So that might be, you might actually end up with two solutions. Maybe you could pick up an OSSC now and just a set of like HD Retrovision component cables, and you could definitely do it that way. And that would be a, a perfectly good solution. And then eventually upgrade to the RetroTINK 4K, or maybe you just, maybe in talking this out, you're you're probably going to be thinking, well, I have a ton of other stuff that I want, and I have a, an amazing 4K monitor, and maybe I could even, or maybe you have a 1440p 120 monitor, or even a 1080p 120, and you want to use some of the BFI options, and set the aspect ratio, and do all that other stuff. So that's something you're going to have to think about, and if you have any, if, well, if I got, if I missed anything, let me know. If you have any other questions or any other things to kind of add to all of this, I could certainly add some opinions. But if anybody knows of any HDMI devices that could do this, let me know. But I'm pretty sure all the ones that I've used in the past either don't do this at all or they're just designed for other things and add latency. So uh, good question, but I think you're kind of going to be stuck getting a gaming scaler in order to solve that issue. Couple of questions from Jason Guffey. First, they heard over and over that widescreen CRTs, especially HD CRTs like the Sony Vega line, have all sorts of issues when it comes to corner consistency, like geometry, color conversions, etc. They just recently noticed the red in their image gets really faded in the top left corner. However, they remember Steve from Retrotech mentioning those magnetic strips that technicians would use on the backs of tubes. They hung a metal plate thing on the shelf above their decks, desk and stuck a coin-sized magnet on the bottom so it sits about two inches above the problem corner and the reds are so much deeper and brighter. Do I think this might cause longer-term damage to, to the tube or any inaccuracies? Are they better off just putting another strip on the inside despite the hassle that it would be to open the thing? 
So I love all of this, by the way. I love where your head's at. Um, I love how you're approaching a problem with unique uh, unique solutions. I just don't know for sure. My my gut is telling me that this should be fine, but I don't know that. I don't, like, this is total speculation. I would really ask Steve from RetroTech his opinion on this one. Uh, also, to, uh, I, to just kind of echo your statements, I think all consumer TVs have geometry, color convergence, and consistency issues in the corners. I think it might just be a little bit more noticeable because now you're starting to have the line density of pro pro monitors, but in a consumer package. So you have the detail potential, but without all of the calibration options. So I just think it's more noticeable. Um, I've learned to kind of just embrace it. I, uh, you know, on the, the TV that I just got, we did the stream with Shank. I think I showed those off. There's a lot of weird inconsistencies, but I kind of just accept that that's what I'm going to see with CRTs. But I love, I love where your head's at. So I would just check with somebody that's more of an expert on this stuff. Um, I don't think it would be an issue. I do think that it would probably be better overall to put that inside and use the correct conversion strips. But Steve would know the answer to that. It could very well be one of those, hey, if it's working for you, leave it alone type of scenarios. But I'm not comfortable saying that definitively. I would much rather just be honest and say, I'm guessing here. Please don't accidentally ruin your CRT because of my guess. Second, can I tell me anything about what negative voltage is? They see it a lot in power supplies, and they don't understand why 12-volt and negative 12-volt would ever be used over 24-volt and ground. Is it just that the waveform is inverted, so negative 12-volt is high when 12-volt would be low? Um, yeah, I'm going to fail you miserably twice in a row, Jason. I am not comfortable discussing this either. The stuff that I talk about confidently are stuff that I know about, have experience with, and can tell you through experience what what it is that I'm talking about. Stuff like this are things that I think I understand the concepts, but I'm not, I don't know that I understand them. So I'm afraid that if I try to explain them, I'm going to get it all wrong and mess you up. Also, power is weird. It's never exactly what you think it is. Um, I mean, it is, right? 12 volts is 12 volts, but there's always a lot more to it. Is it still 12 volts if you're using a six foot cable? You know, there's there's craziness to it. So using negative voltage and positive voltage all comes together in what the end goal is trying to be and what problems you're trying to solve. So I'm going to just fail you miserably and say, I think you should try to look for more of a, a power-focused expert and to explain it. And also note that, uh, you know, while I'm over, you know, over-generalizing here, I know you're not ever supposed to put people into, into boxes and you're never supposed to generalize, but People that tell you they're absolute power experts and know everything about power are generally people that don't know that they don't know anything about power. <laughs> Whereas people that are like, hey, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. I got a PhD in it. Uh, there's still stuff I might be missing, but I could definitely tell you what 12 volts positive and negative means. Those are the people you want to go to because there's so much involved in it. And I've learned the hard way. I've learned the hard way many, many times that when you start talking about and messing with power, it's very easy to say something and then you completely forget about so many other scenarios. So I don't want to just be the misinformation spreader. I'd rather just sit here and make fun of myself instead. So sorry, Jason, I, I failed you twice, but at least hopefully I was able to point you into the directions to look for the answers. Well, that's it for this week. Sorry about the bird squawking in the background. I'm sure if you were listening with headphones or something, it sounded like somebody had an episode of Real Housewives cranked up in the background, but it is what it is. It's probably better than the wizard anyway, So, uh, or, or the horns and sirens and screams from New York City, but we'll see. 
Uh, and as always, thank you to everybody who participates in these. I have a great time doing them. I try to do my best. Obviously, I don't have the answers to all the questions. However, if you do want to participate in these, ask any question you'd like wherever it is that you support in the latest Q&A post. This week, all the questions just happen to only be on Patreon, but anybody who supports, I check all of those services every week before and after I'm done recording too, just to make sure right before I uh, start editing, I get all the questions in. Anybody that has a question, just fire away. Just please put it in the latest post because the way the services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an older post. Plus, as you saw today, I really like just scrolling through in real time and kind of answering the questions as if we were hanging out at a coffee shop or a bar somewhere together. I like these to be very laid back. So thank you all very much, and I will see you next week.